You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. The podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. Now, we'll take a break from our usual episodes to bring you this intermission sode. They're two people that you think will never die. Stephen Sondheim will never totally. die. And so, like, on the face of it, he was 91. So, of yeah. course, you know, he's got every right to die. <laughs> he's lived a good yeah. long life. But you just don't yeah. think it's ever going to happen. No. Uh, but I will say, too, what's kind of really amazing about it is that, well, you mentioned it, that he's mm-hmm. leaving behind all of these people who have this great appreciation. And I'm saying yeah. great with all capital letters, this great yeah. appreciation for everything that he's given us. Yeah. Every, every song, every lyric that he has gifted to us mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. actors, as people, as just human beings. Let's just say blanket statement as human beings that yeah. he's these things to us but you've also the the actual songs and lyrics themselves he's left those behind and and I think Mm. hundreds of years from now they'll be talking about that you know what I mean he'll still have this kind of fix fixation not a fixation this uh this fixative quality yeah the atmosphere in this in the great grand scheme of artistic things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um I've I, I don't know why I've been thinking about this for honestly months it's just like keeps randomly popping in my head um but probably a couple of years ago I, so I'd gone, I've gone to Oscar Hammerstein's house out in Doylestown twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the house that Stephen Sondheim talked about all the time going to because his, his, when his parents got divorced, his mother bought a house in Doylestown. He said she was something of a, um, she liked to sort of follow famous people around. <laughs> And he said at the time, there were a a lot of well-known people who lived in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. So she bought a house there. And then he said his father uh, bought a house in Connecticut. And so on the summers, he'd be sort of shuttled between the two families. Um, And his his mother was actually horrible to him. And um and she would say things like, 
all her, you know, she never accomplished what she thought she wanted to accomplish in life because he was born. Mm. She would just blame him for um, anything that went wrong in her life. And I thought about this a lot because especially the last couple of days since he's passed, I thought, well, turns out he was the best thing (laughs) she ever created. Yeah. As I watch all of the videos of people standing at the Bethesda fountain, singing Sunday, literally in the park. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Times Square is filled with people reading his words, quoting him and singing his songs. Yeah. I mean, the millions of people that this one human being touched and the mountains he had to overcome to be able to be a creative person, like the psychological mountains to overcome the constant fear we have as creatives that like, is our work good enough? Is it okay? Is it ever going to matter? And it's like, if he didn't push through all of that and still choose to create, we wouldn't have literally all the words to say goodbye to him. He gave us every word we'd ever (laughs) possibly need to say goodbye to him. Um, and I, and so I've just been thinking a lot about past and, and words that people say to us that can sometimes inhibit us and what happens to young people who don't have an Oscar Hammerstein to run to. Yeah. Um, who they have, you know, he said, if he, he used to say in some of his interviews, he was like, if Oscar Hammerstein had been a shoemaker, I would have been a shoemaker. If he would have been a <laughs> welder, I would have been a welder. You know, yeah. he just, you know, he, that was his, um, you know, that was his sort of adoptive father. Mm-hmm. And I think about would he have ever gone to Oscar's house and befriended his son, Jimmy, if his mother hadn't been horrible? Yeah. Would any of that have happened? Would we have Sondheim the way that we have them him if any of that wouldn't have happened? I don't know why I've been thinking about this at least once a week for months. Well, and then well, he left I don't know us. why you've been thinking about it so much. <laughs> Yeah, but, or or so, for so long, but it is something that is really. I mean, it's even if you're not thinking about it for someone's particular life, if you if you yeah. just think those thoughts about yourself, it's like, yeah, you know, there are so many things, so many little tiny miracles that had to have happened yeah. for you to be in a place at a certain time for a certain thing. Yeah. And, and we never get to see what that is, except in hindsight, right. which is right. always so, so fascinating to me. So mm-hmm. fascinating because it's like you could be going through the worst time in your life and then you discover why. Or yeah. maybe you don't discover why, but like those times that you do, when that moment comes, you're like, oh, oh. Wow. And I feel like that is kind of the miracle of these great people who have yeah. left us with with amazing attributes. Mm-hmm. That you look back and like you can you can pinpoint every little single detail of yeah. what happened in that person's life that led them to that specific place mm-hmm. that then 
created this opportunity for for him or her to create whatever it is that we then can enjoy forever and ever and ever. Like it, it is really mm-hmm. important, and we will that that chain will never break. And I think that's what mm-hmm. the cool part about this is too, because people that have listened to his music since he started writing it mm-hmm. grew up to then create their own music, who then yeah. will then other people will listen to their music and then grow up to create their own music. And that cycle will never break. That cycle will never change. It'll just keep getting better and better and better. And you can, each of those people, generations to come can say, I was inspired by Stephen Sondheim. I was inspired by Oscar Hammerstein. I was inspired by Cole Porter or, you know, fill in the blank, great artist who, who, yeah. You know, who never knows the the full extent of their inspiration because they're not going to be privy to it. When I was watching literally, I think it was like Monday, either Sunday or Monday, I was watching a series of Ava DuVernay interviews and she was on um, she was with Ben Mankiewicz. And they had done like the essentials. Do you know that is on TCM? It's basically like he'll sit down with one filmmaker or comedian or somebody of note, and they'll go through about eight or 10 of their the movies that were most influential oh, cool. to them. I don't know it. I might so, have seen some clips, but that sounds interesting. It's really, really cool. Um, and if you go on Letterboxd, um, there's a list of all the movies she picked. So I like wrote down the ones I hadn't seen, but it's funny because when she, she picked West side story as one of her movies. Wow. And she said, I know I must've seen movies before I saw West side story, but I feel like I never saw a movie before I saw West side story. Sure. That makes total sense. Doesn't it? It totally makes sense. I was like, I strangely feel similarly because it's so ingrained on my mind the day, the circumstances under which I saw that movie. You've told that story before. Yeah. And, and like, you know, and that's why I got so upset when Hal died. And it's why, you know, I'm upset with Steven's passing. Yeah. It, it had such a colossal effect on me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ava doesn't do musicals. She does movies. And it it was like. She didn't say it was necessarily the movie that um, made her think about becoming a filmmaker, but. Just to say that the first time you saw that, it felt like you'd never seen a movie before you saw that film just speaks to the influence it has. and. Um, man, you know, and then he, he just narrowly missed the opening of the new one directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, but yeah, so, uh, we're going to talk about, um, Steven Sondheim and, um, our feelings about him as two theater geeks and, um, (laughs) <laughs> just and, so that there's no mistake this is a celebration of him yeah, oh We're totally sad that he has passed but like the things that he's left behind and the feelings that he has created in people is really the most impactful part so that's what we're really doing. That's what we're talking about today totally and um 
we're, we're going to talk about also like how we define success because, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast and I looked at our list and realized it's so funny. We haven't actually done that many episodes of no. Stephen Sondheim musicals, <laughs> but like Pamela and I saw Pacific Overtures off Broadway together. I went and saw the Assassins concert. Um, like one Saturday or Sunday before we were. And so in my brain, we had done all those shows. Yeah. And then I looked in our (laughs) list and I was like, we didn't do those shows. We didn't merrily. We merrily done merrily. And I was like, how come we didn't do Pacific overtures? We went to see it. Well, here's the thing. Cause I feel like we talk about Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince so often, so often (laughs) that it really does feel like we have done him yeah. or them more often than we have. And there, it's, there are plenty of shows, but I think, well, I mean, as I don't know if this is the way that you feel. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to put him in the category of flops and perhaps actually for the reason that we're going to discuss today. Yeah. Yeah. Even though those shows flopped, yeah. it's Stephen Sondheim and Hal <laughs> Prince. Like, you know. it's, it's such a weird, like you can't, it's such a weird concept to think that he flopped, but he did so many times, so many times, (laughs) so many, so many, he did the, he did more flopping than, you know, flying. And it's, it's really, it's really wild. Um, because you, you've had this whole Google drive document that you put into, (laughs) into my eyesight. And one of the things that you list here is also the thing that I was going to bring up as well. And that is that people who are ahead of their time are never fully appreciated in the moment. It's never until that hindsight hits that they're like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, he really had something going there. Yeah. So I think a lot of those quote unquote flops were simply because people were never, we're not used to seeing what he had to offer us yet. And Mm -hmm. so it took some time for us to catch up as an audience member. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent correct. So, um, Stephen Joshua Sondheim was born on March 22nd, 1930 in New York City and died on November 26th of 2021 at his home in Roxbury, Connecticut. He was a composer lyricist best known for shows like Sweeney Todd and Into the Woods, which you'll hear a lot about on other podcasts, news programs, and all other types of media. A few things you probably won't hear much about are his play Getting Away with Murder and the television musical Evening Primrose, which starred Anthony Perkins on ABC in 1966. And you probably won't hear about the play or much about Evening Primroses because those two are not necessarily um, seen as, especially the play, like he sort of tried to hide it (laughs) because he wasn't very proud of it. (laughs) Um, and then Evening Primrose just sort of recently has been uh, one of these quote unquote lost musicals that um, has been performed on stage a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, people also won't say much about the fact that many of his musicals weren't well received when they first premiered, nor were many of them box office hits. And why won't people talk about this? Because we often have a revisionist history about the individuals we see as, quote unquote, the greats. Sondheim's best friend and frequent collaborator, Hal Prince, said, the idea is to work and to experiment. Some things will be creatively successful. 
some things will succeed at the box office and some things will only, which is the biggest only, teach you things that see the future. And they'll probably as valuable as any of your successes. And I believe I also quoted this when we did the Hal Prince tribute. I feel like instead of spending this tribute episode talking about how Sondheim changed musical theater, I thought it was important to talk about how he redefined the word success. His success came through perseverance and believing in his voice, even when others doubted and naysayed his work. Some would argue that his vision was so ahead of its time, works such as Sunday in the Park with George predated the technology even, needed to execute his vision until 2017, although the musical was first produced on Broadway in 1984. The same may be said of the movie that is being made over a span of 20 years of his beloved musical, Merrily We Roll Along, which was the last show he and Hal made together, though they remained best friends best friends. They were both, they both loved that show, but its demise hurt them both so much that they never worked together again. So basically, as Pamela stated, like, we're going to talk about Stephen was amazing. We all love him. All of his work is gorgeous. I mean, the show's like, everyone says what, you know, it was a box office flop. Anyone can whistle. Mm-hmm. The music's amazing. Yeah. We all love that show. You know, merrily we roll along. I love that show. Totally. That's why there's literally a film being made right now as we speak over yeah. a 20 year span because people love that musical, mm-hmm. even though it was like the most difficult flop for him. Yeah. It's it's. I I did write down, I put in how um, the word success is actually defined. And so dictionary.com defines it as the favorable or prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors, the accomplishment of one's goals. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines it as the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. Now he did, he did. both seem a little short-sighted to me. (laughs) Right. I do say, though, what I love, though, is the accomplishment of one's goals. Yeah, goals. Yes, I will absolutely agree with that. But the Merriam-Webster, the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect or fame, like that's the that is society's way exactly of, yes. of estimating someone's success. And I think that's mm-hmm. what most of us as millennials and Gen Z are fighting against right now. That's really true. That's really true. And and. You're right. I mean, that's why I put that definition in there, because I feel like that's how society so often defines it, you know, and that's listen, we Stephen had a house (laughs) in Manhattan, right? And he had a house in Roxbury, Connecticut. So he was not he did not die penniless. Right. A few days ago. Right. Um, But his shows were not financial successes. Most of them, I mean. You know, they uh, the average was that they'd close after about six months. After years of work being put into them. So many years. Yeah. I don't think there's any uh, um, equivocating the fact that he was a successful person. Yeah. With or without his shows being, quote unquote, successful. Mm -hmm. It's it's not necessarily that we're talking about 
well, okay, let's say this. It's not that we're looking at how many houses he has, how much money he had in the bank, right. what his net worth was, uh, how many, you know, successful relationships he had. Like that's not, we're not looking at that. Right. What I think we're trying to say is that in the course of what he wanted, what his goals were, yeah, you could argue that none of those goals were truly met in the way that society would expect them to be. And yet he was still incredibly successful. He was very successful because the thing that he I was watching an interview today and one of the things that he said, because he was so he, he was so heartily trying to emulate Oscar. Mm. And Oscar told him one time, he was like, Stephen, you have to find your own voice. You have so to <laughs> speak, speak truth from who you are. It yeah. can't be, you can't write Oklahoma. That's mine. Mm -hmm. That's my truth. That's my, those are my words. And that's how, that's how I create. There's a whole other way that you'll create. And, and that he did that right? He was true to that. He was true to himself. Yeah. He was true to his spirit. He was true to who he was. He was true to what felt right to him and what felt best to him. And, and he, he stayed with knowing that if he stayed true to himself and stayed true to what he knew needed to be said and could only come from him, right? What, what is that line? Uh, it can only come from you and it will be new. That's actually one of his, I think that's one of, <laughs> I think that's a line from one of his shows. Awesome. Um, I don't recognize it, but that doesn't mean can anything. Can you Google it's it? A long day. Yeah. I think, um, and so that, that is success is being completely authentic because in his authenticity, in him being true to himself and who he knew he was and who he knew he was creatively, it has changed the face of musical theater. It has changed our lives. We, we now have a new language <laughs> by which to express ourselves. Totally. We have songs and words to express ourselves that were not in the lexicon before he existed in this world. And, and I, I love that the way that we have revered somebody because of their authenticity and them staying true to who they are. I mean, this is this is like one of my favorite tributes to do because of the reasons we love him. They're like the best reasons to love somebody. Yeah, totally. Well, it, and it's that uniqueness that that every, you don't, if everyone did the same thing and had the same voice and had the same ideas, it would be a very yeah. boring world. So yeah. we, as human beings look to the uniqueness, look to that individuality, to that weirdness, that quote unquote weirdness, uh, to, to discover in another human being that, mm -hmm. that that's what draws us. So I did find something I'm not, it's not you exactly do said, but it's okay. in the park with George. Yeah. Um, one of dots lines is stop worrying. If your vision is new, let others make that decision. They usually do. And Ooh, there's, that's more. good. Yeah, that is good. I mean, that's pretty similar to what you said. 
Yeah. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it nothing, is. Nothing came up perfectly in the quote that you gave me, but that was pretty good. Yeah, that's per. That's perfect. Um, you said you had you you had also a list of just like other individuals yes. that yeah. So I, we were talking before we started recording and um, thinking about just people that have been hugely successful, but that may never have had that kind of success in their actual lives or when they were living, I was thinking obviously Mm -hmm. like Vincent Van Gogh is the first person that came to mind because he Mm -hmm. had sold one painting his entire life and he died absolutely in poverty. Right. And he had, but now everyone knows Vincent Van Gogh. I mean, there's not, you can look at any of his paintings and even if you've never seen it before, you know, that that's a Van Gogh or a Van Mm -hmm. Gogh, I think is how you pronounce it, but I'm going to still say Van Gogh because that's how I learned it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I went and like just looked up a list on the internet. So like Emily Dickinson, the works of Emily Dickinson that described her personal thoughts on death, mortality, and nature only came to light after her death in 1886. So there's another example. Uh, Franz Kafka is a German language writer who never lived to enjoy fame as publishers wouldn't accept his work and no one took him seriously during his lifetime. This one surprised me because I didn't remember that this was the case, but Edgar Allan Poe was an American writer, poet. Everyone knows his work. Um, Yeah. Raven, uh, Mm -hmm. the cask of Amontillado. Um, He was a writer who died in 1849. He never made enough money to support himself during his lifetime. He didn't. Yeah. Henry David Thoreau. Everyone knows that name. He's a famous philosopher and writer who inspired huge leaders like Leo Tolstoy and Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, Henry Darger, who I'd never heard of before, but he was another artist who died in 1973, but he became Mm. popular only when his fantasy manuscript was discovered in the 1990s, which that was called the story of the Vivian girls. But I'm not familiar Mm. with that. Uh, But that was, I mean... There's all of these stories about people like this. Galileo, uh, I'm just going to say the names. Alfred uh, Wegener, who's a meteorologist. Um, Johann Vermeer, who's another artist. Uh, John Keats, poet. Uh, Stieg Larsson, journalist. Oscar Wilde, Mm. who I think inspired quite a few of our our classic musical theater uh, writers. yes. You know, these are these are names that we all have heard, even if we don't know who they are. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they never had that quote unquote success when they were living doesn't really mean anything because they still kind of fought through, created what they created, and then they left this world, but they left us those gifts. And I do call them gifts because I, I believe that any creative endeavor that we give, small or large, is a gift that mm-hmm. we've been given and now we're giving to the world. I, I that's something that I truly believe. I know that you do as well. Yeah. But it's, you know, these these are things that I think can give us nothing but a, a sense of excitement mm-hmm. and inspiration. Some of these things can make us go back like this all of Stephen Sondheim I can remember at a very young age. Yeah. And singing along with Into the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Into the Woods was the first CD that I ever bought. Okay, that's how old I am. <laughs> but I also had it on a double cassette disc. Yeah. And I remember 
remember singing along. And I also, oh, because I had I had the American version, obviously, with Bernadette Peters, but I yeah. also had the London version, which has a song in it that was sung by, uh, with Rapunzel and the Witch. It's a great song. Uh, so if you get a chance, like, look that up. I think it might okay. be in the newer Broadway versions, but I can't recall that exactly. So I'm not going to say it with confidence, but I will say it maybe happened. <laughs> I remember one day talking on the phone with my friend Jennifer Rusk <laughs> on the <laughs> landline. We didn't have cell phones at this point. And because the cord could reach, I reached around into my room and I said, you have to listen to this. And I put on Little Red Riding Hood song and I sang it to her through the phone along with it. The cassette tape. Okay. That was how obsessed I was with it because it was like, oh, there's everything in here. Now, obviously I still wanted to be the witch, but I was yes. young. <laughs> I was like, there's a role for me right now. Yeah. I'm young. I could play little red riding hood. Like it was such a cool concept to me too. It was like, wait, these are, these are creatures. These are fairy tale creatures that, mm -hmm. and stories that we all know but he flipped the script on us and yeah. telling us this. That was the beginning <laughs> of my love for like the psychological side of musical theater, of yeah. like, of the soon to be wicked story where mm -hmm. the story of the wicked witch of the West, who was the villain and you flip it 180 degrees. And actually she was not as much a villain as we thought. And this is the story that I'm going to tell. Like that stuff is fascinating to me. And, so, and yeah. he did it. He did. He did he it. Did. He he put all of these fairy tale stories together into one show and he made it work. And it was the coolest thing. Like it just it's blew amazing. my mind as a, as a kid. I think I must've been 12 or 13 when I started listening to it. Like that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. That, and then I would that. go and I would like tell people, and I was like, no, okay. So it's about like Little Red Riding Hood is in it. And, and, um, the witch is the witch in every story, but she's just one witch. And then like, it was the coolest Cinderella's in it. It's so neat. I just loved it. <laughs> um, I love that. I love yeah. every time you tell stories about little you <laughs> and your obsession with the Stephen Sondheim musical. I just so wonderful. I'm like, I knew every word. And I remember too, like, um, on long road trips, like on vacations as the family, we'd be in the station wagon and I would, mm. I would bring my Walkman and my headphones and I'd be listening to my musical theater cassette tapes. <laughs> and I oh remember God. once also I was listening also to into the woods and I was listening to, um, Jack and the Jack song, uh, giants in the sky. There are giants. Oh my gosh. I love that song. <laughs> Me too. And I remember going, Oh, Jennifer. And I rewinded it and I let her listen to the one section that I was like, listen to this. I don't even remember what the section was, but I remember her going. Yeah. And I was like, no, no. it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's the language. Every time I wish I, I wish we were friends when we were little. <laughs> Because yeah. we both would have been in the car on yeah. the Walkmans geeking yeah. out about and everybody would have been yelling at us because yep. we would have been squealing and loudly whispering <laughs> after they told us to be quiet. We still yep. would have been too loud. They would have put us in the back of the station wagon with the seats <laughs> <Stacey's> back. <laughs> 
which is where <laughs> I was usually sat. But you know, like that, that and Newsies. I remember listening to Newsies and like try, sing, trying to sing "Seize the Day," but like switching vocal parts because you can't just sing one. And like you know, that kind of stuff is super exciting and lovely yeah. and wonderful. But there's something about Sondheim lyrics. Yeah, yeah. That you, I never got in one listening. I never mm-hmm. got, you know, listening. because it's so deep. So it's much. so deep and complicated. You know, totally. it's like, it's like a really good game of, I don't know. I don't play chess. <laughs> I don't know. Some, I don't know, some really complicated, just like board game, or it's, yeah. it's like a really hard math puzzle. You know, it's like, you just every single time you go through it, you find another yeah. nugget of beauty that you just didn't discover. And and because he was ahead of his time, the older you get. Yes, I was just going to say that <laughs> things. Yes. Me have a whole new meaning. It was so, I love that musical. And then the movie came out when like right after my mom died. Oh, and so Cinderella had a whole new meaning. Yeah. And yes. I found myself like listening to her wanting so desperately to talk to her mother in the tree. And I was getting choked up. And that was not an experience I'd ever had before, you know, listening to to that show. I love that show. Yeah. Um, but that's just another thing about his work is just as you grow it grows with you and it, and it stretches and it expands and you have new meanings for things. And there are lines you, you thought you got, but you didn't completely (laughs) or, or that maybe you did, but because it's so malleable, it changes context. I feel like that because I'm, I've always been more aligned with the villains in stories. And Mm -hmm. I think that comes because it's always been about the psychology of acting for me, even as a kid about the why, like what, why did she make that decision? What was her motivation in that? Like, why did that happen that way? Yeah, That was always though. That was the question that I was always asking was why from young until even now. And there's also this super strong need for justice that I've Mm -hmm. always had. (laughs) And so, you know, my, the character of the witch in into the woods was always, and of course it was Bernadette Peters as well, but (laughs) even besides that, her storyline, she probably at first wanted nothing more than to help. Yeah. You know, like, she's like, I mean, listen, I'm not supposed to, but yeah, you can have some of my greens, but she was taken advantage of. And I what like Mm -hmm. my, my imagination would always say, well, like, I wonder how many times she had been taken advantage of before she finally became what she became at the very end of the show, where she was finally like, you know what? This isn't my fault. It's your fault. But you know what? Fine. (laughs) If you want it to be my fault, I'll take the blame. Oh, it's me. I'm the witch. Yeah. I get, I'm in, you know, this, that kind of thing. It's like, fine, kill me then send me to the giant. I'll take your, I'll take the dirty side of things for you. You were going to do it anyway. And I loved that. It spoke to me. It spoke to my little emo heart when I was younger. (laughs) 
Right? Because uh, that's hard. I'm the third out of four children. That's a difficult <laughs> to be in. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. nothing is fair, you know? So it, that <laughs> just on a very, you know, very um, shallow level, that was where it was yeah. when I was younger. But as I got older, that too was like, you know, th- there has to be something within us that either lets it just roll off our back mm-hmm. or that can accept the what what the world is throwing at us with a grace and mm-hmm. forgiveness that none of us is able to accomplish on our own uh, or we turn into something like that we turn into yeah. somebody that we don't want to be that we never wanted to be yeah yeah and that was oh i just loved it i loved it so much and even like in the relationships that she had with Rapunzel. She loved yeah. Rapunzel. She did. She yeah. raised Rapunzel. She wanted to keep Rapunzel. And then at the end, Rapunzel decided she didn't want her anymore. Mm-hmm. She wanted this fly-by-night prince who happened to show up one night and show him her his pretty face. And and then all of a sudden, great. So I'm not good enough for you. Like <laughs> there's so much in her in her in yeah. that character that just really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I mean, that's true of a lot of the other shows. Like, I love Mrs. Lovett. Mrs. Lovett also has a really <laughs> special place to me. And I played yeah. her when I was 21 years old, right? I had no, <laughs> no reason to be playing this role at age 21. But the experiences that I had in the 21 years of my life were still able to inform that character because mm-hmm. of how he wrote them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite? I mean, I also love Into the Woods. Um, I've been feeling merrily a lot recently because I've just been I've been thinking about it a lot because I've been thinking a lot about um, as I come up on miles a milestone age, mm. and um just how we have an expectation of what our life is going to be like when we're younger. Yeah. And then to see what it turns out to be when we're older. And, um, (laughs) you know, I just, I think about myself and a lot of my friends and, you know, I don't think anybody's life has turned out the way they thought it would or wanted it to. Um, and that's not to say that they're bad or unhappy. It's just different. Yeah. And, you know, that's the beauty and sadness of that musical. Yeah. Um, it's just so, I feel like it's so honest about what gets in the way. Um, and, you know, how each of us, internalizes that path and um, who it ultimately makes us to be in the end. And um, so right now that's the one I'm really feeling, (laughs) I think just because of where, where, where I am uh, in my, in my life. Yeah. Um, well, it's, and I made it sound so sad, but it's not. It's just <laughs> it's introspective. Yeah, it and really think, is. That's it. I think some of it can be sad, which is okay. Mm-hmm. I think with 
with anything sweet, a little salt will make it sweeter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what you were describing also kind of goes to this whole definition of success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can speak personally when I was 10 years old, I decided that I wanted to be on Broadway. And from that mm -hmm. moment on, I did everything in my power to get there. And yeah. then I did have success. I did. Mm -hmm. But because it wasn't Broadway and because I had mm -hmm. made my expectations so loudly, because I had told everybody what I was yeah. going to accomplish, it suddenly felt that I, I hadn't succeeded at all. Mm -hmm. It suddenly felt that then leaving the business in the way that I did, mm -hmm. it suddenly felt like, oh, well, she's a failure then, which is mm -hmm. completely untrue. But yeah. I almost had to convince myself that that was the case. I almost had to like list it all out, list all of the things that I've done in the last 30 years to convince yeah. myself that I, I was successful and that... Mm -hmm that the the successes that I did have then informed my later successes, which didn't have anything to do with the expectations that I set for myself or the goals that I set for myself 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But that is, that is the sadness. I think there, I, I did grieve. Mm -hmm. I still grieve not pursuing that, not pursuing musical theater, not pursuing Broadway. And it's not too late. Obviously I know that. But yeah, it's yeah. it's not in the cards this moment. Mm -hmm. And so there is a sadness there. But yeah. I can also look back and be like, Phantom of the Opera, Wicked, all of the regional shows that I've done. Sweeney Todd at, at 21 years old in Eureka, <laughs> Illinois. You know, yeah. and, and, and just finding my love of musical theater mm -hmm. and, my, and my voice. I found my freaking voice. You know, that's, yeah. I think, the most exciting thing. And that's something that I think a lot of, of young kids have pro have trouble with, right? You're kind of, yeah. it's the hardest time to live. And what do they do? They stick you in this like Lord of the Flies environment where, <laughs> where literally one person that may have more friends than everybody else says one thing negatively against you. And then suddenly everyone's against you. It's, it's yeah. awful. It's the worst. Well, and now they have social media, so you right? can also get bullied there. So and it's like 24 seven bullying, bullied by adults who live in Germany. Like they don't even yeah. have to be your age or your demo or like in the area that you're in. It's, it's an awful time to live. And if I had not had musical theater and if I yeah. had not had, and I will go one step further as well. I am mm -hmm. a white woman girl at the time who lived in a mm -hmm. demographically very white community surrounded yeah. by white people in my school. And if I hadn't had theater, I would never have had the diversity or the, or the inclusion that I had yeah. at such a young age to make me much more empathetic to those, those marginalized now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge. It really is. It is. You know, you think about, you know, some of the shows that um, that Stephen did, like West Side Story and Pacific Overtures, um, which were about other cultures outside of his own. Yeah. Um, that he wanted to shine a light on. And, you know, the power that theater has to bring all of those 
uh, communities together and all of us to see ourselves in every lyric that he wrote. Yeah. Um, I, I, there, there was this woman in that I used to work for and I used like, I don't know why I, but I just always wanted her to sing children will listen. And one of my friends said, cause she, she actually was a, um, retired Broadway performer and she would do this cabaret and she would take it around. And uh, one of my friends who worked for her said she does do this. Like, you know, she does it in her cabaret and I'd seen it one time and she didn't do it that time. And then it was my birthday. My birthday had passed and she would usually sing for somebody if they wanted it. And I was like, you didn't sing for me. And so she did sing it for me right then and there. I love it. And then um, the next cabaret that she did, it was how she closed the show too. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that song is the perfect example of one of Stephen Sondheim's genius. Yeah. And it's because the way that he wrote Mm-hmm. meant multiple things. Yeah, the same yeah. word meant something different. Yeah. Careful the tales you tell, children will listen. Children will listen. Careful the tales you tell, children will listen. Mm-hmm. Those two ideas spoken and or sung in that one line meant so many different things to each of those characters within the show. But then also in an audience of different people and different experiences, it means something completely different, too. And he was so brilliant at that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) Well, um, oh, I I just the last thing I want to close with is um, I never got to meet him, but I did get to see him at a show. Oh, that's cool. So this one, this one day, actually, it was like not many months after my mom passed my friend, Robbie and I, and you all will know Robbie because he was on one of our episodes. He did the pretty (laughs) bell episode with us. Um, we went to see this one man musical called the lion and it was great. Um, we, we walked in, got our playbills, sat down and he and I were just kind of you know chit-chatting a little bit before the show starts and then we got quiet and we're just looking around and all of a sudden he he taps me and he has this like energy where I could immediately feel a shift in his energy and I was like (laughs) something he's something exciting is happening (laughs) but he's trying very hard to like contain it so that he doesn't get loud because he's just really excited and so I could I could feel it when he tapped me and he was like, Ebony, Ebony, look, OK, I don't want to point. Look, 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 look over at like the second door. Do you see that old man? <laughs> and and I and I was like, wait, where? <gasps> oh <my God. laughs> and so I was like. It's Steven. <laughs> we were just like, oh my God. And so to try to keep, I, you again, you all know Robbie because he was on the podcast. So 
if you can just imagine <laughs> that energy of theater geekdom just coursing through our veins because oh, Stephen wow. Sondheim had just walked into this small theater because this was like an off-Broadway show. So this <laughs> yeah. is not a Broadway house. So it's not like he's <laughs> where super you're like, far. You're 10 seats away from him wherever you're sitting. <laughs> right. You know? And so he's over there and we were just like, oh my God. And so we were just excited yeah. the whole show. And all we really did was we'd pay attention to the play. We'd laugh at something and we immediately look over to see if Steven (laughs) liked it too. Like we were, we were just, every time there was something, we just were so interested to see if Steven Sondheim also liked the show as much as we did the whole show. Um, and so that's, I, I love that memory. I have loved it always. And now I will just cherish it always because that was the only time that I got to see him in person. And, uh, (sighs) he just bless, bless his heart. I mean, until he, he, he'd gone like a day or two before he passed to see two more shows. Like he just, yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. And he was so excited about going to see, to see shows and see yeah. new work. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, with that, I'm going to close with that uh, little anecdote. And um, <laughs> I I asked uh, Pamela just to close us out with one short little stanza um, that she's going to do uh, from Into the Woods. And, um, and then we're just going to say goodbye immediately after. Yes. Thank you all for listening. And um, I know that we're all sort of, we're all sad, but like, man, are we lucky? We got to be alive at the same time as him. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We're really blessed. Yeah. Sometimes people leave you. Halfway through the wood, do not let it grieve you. No one leaves for good, you are not alone. No one is alone. Oh, so gorgeous! He's so brilliant! It's so brilliant! Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGABWAY and on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Your intermission sode has now concluded. Shut up, sit down, and turn off your cell phones. Or we'll tell Patty Lapone. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.